The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning, y'all. Bonnie Williams demanded, if you know her, that I say y'all. There it is. It's over. All the global partners in here, would you stand up? My wife's going, what are you doing right now? I'm following orders. If you're a global partner, stand up. Go and visit these folks after the service. Get connected. Pray for them. Join their team. It would be a great blessing. My name is John. I, someone texted me the service order, and it says John, global partner, which sounds very mysterious. I do have a last name, but I would have to kill you if I told you what it was. No, my name is John Norris. Bethlehem's being kind to us. They're looking out for us when they do that. I'm pastor of a church in the United Arab Emirates in a town called Alain, which means the spring. There's some Arabic speakers here, so I can't fool you guys anymore. It's a city of about three-quarters of a million people, and they're people who are from all over the world. This is in the Arabian Desert. It's about an hour and a half from Dubai, an hour and a half from Abu Dhabi City, three-quarters of a million people. Most of them are not locals. About 70% of them are from other Middle Eastern countries, Africa, South Asia, India. And I'm a pastor of an English-speaking church there. There's a lot of English speaking that goes on there. People have to speak English to do business for the most part. And so it is strategic. And the Lord is being kind to us. We're global partners with Bethlehem. We were at South Campus for a while, for a few years. While I attended Bethlehem Seminary, we left in 2017 for the United Arab Emirates. South Campus, you have been a blessing to us. You have. You've prayed for us for a long time. You've given to us. And the final day will reward you for the grace that God has given to us through you. So bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Only, only he can. Satan is real. He is real. And he hates you. He hates this church. He's eager for the division of this church. He is. He's eager for the destruction of your soul. He's hungry for it. He is. He's always testing the fence. In any turmoil... He might find a spot where he might entice you to sin. That's what he's after. That's what he's after. Don't be fooled in thinking of all the news that has happened in the last couple weeks, that any of it is so important that you should sin over it. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. For you to judge people on things Christ Jesus will not judge them for. For slander to slide off your tongue. He lusts for that. He wants you to be afraid of what could happen in the future. He would love for the witness of this church to diminish. He would love for that to happen, for this church to be silenced. But we can't be silent. We're going to see that in this passage. Resist him, and he will flee. He will. 
Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Apart from you, we can do nothing. But you give us this promise. If we ask for bread, you won't give us a stone. If we ask for a fish, you won't give us a snake. We know how to give good, good gifts to our children, and we are evil. How much more will you give, Father, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask? Please, please give the Holy Spirit this morning. Make us bold. Help us to trust what is in your word. Would you give new life this morning? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you heard last week, Acts 17, this is just the next passage, that Paul was in Athens, Greece. So he preached in chapter 18. He leaves Athens and he moves west to Corinth. It was about 50 miles. You see that in verse 1 of our text. It was a trade center. Corinth was a great city. He finds a couple, Aquila and Priscilla there. They were sent away from Rome because Claudius, who was Caesar, he was emperor. He didn't want any Jews in Rome. And so he sent them away, he kicked them out. Aquila and Priscilla ended up in Corinth. And Paul finds them and he joins them as a tent maker, making tents. And he does what he does everywhere. He teaches in the synagogue. And when he gets rejected by the Jews, he moves on to the non-Jewish peoples who are there with the gospel. And that's what happens in our text. Now the ruler of the synagogue believes... That's verse 8. That's a big deal. The Jews in Corinth will not be happy. If you've been following along in Acts, this smells like trouble. And you're probably thinking, what's going to happen to this guy? He's about to get a beat down. That's what's about to happen. And Paul's wondering what's about to happen. The ruler of the synagogue has trusted in Christ. What's going to happen? And so Jesus comes to him in a vision and speaks to him, and he's giving him help. Consider this. Paul is proclaiming, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's what he's proclaiming. And this Lord of all comes to him with help for fear. And he'll come to help you with fear. This is what we're going to spend our time on. What Jesus says to Paul, verses 9 and 10, he's giving him help. And that's what's happening in this sermon. So here's the outline. If you're an outline person, this is where we're going. It's one argument. It's broken into three sections. Jesus has people who will be saved. That's point one. He has people, and they will be saved. The second point, they will be saved through speaking through you speaking, me speaking, Paul speaking. That's the second point. They'll be saved through speaking. Therefore, point three, fight the fear that keeps you quiet. Therefore, fight the fear that keeps you quiet. This is one long argument. We're going to see this from what Jesus says. It's building. God's people will be saved, and they'll be saved through your speaking. Therefore, you've got to deal with anything that keeps you from speaking. And Jesus is going to talk about fear. My guess is that you've got lots of reasons to be quiet. You do. Probably, 
this might be an exaggeration, I don't think it is, in the lifetimes of the people here, culturally, you have more reasons to be quiet about the truth that's in this book than you ever have. So we need help. And let's see what Jesus has to say to help us. So here we go. Jesus' people will be saved. Look at verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Jesus wants Paul to keep speaking. That's the activity that Jesus wants Paul to stay engaged in. Don't be quiet. I want you to keep speaking. And the reason that Jesus wants Paul to keep at it is because he has many in Corinth, you see that at the end of verse 10, who are his people. He has many people in Corinth. What's he talking about there? Okay, if you've got a Bible, turn to John 10. Turn there, flip there on your phone. John 10, verses 14 through 16. And you can keep your finger in there, put a marker in there. We're going to turn to it more than once. It's going to help us understand our passage. What does it mean he has many in Corinth who are his people? So here's John 10, 14 through 16. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, pause. So Jesus is talking to his disciples in Judea, Palestine area, and he's saying, I have sheep. I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. And I know who my sheep are, and I'm going to die for them. The sheep that are here, I am here to lay down my life for their sins. That's what he's going to do. And then, in verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Okay, so he's in Palestine. He's saying, I know my own, my own know me. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep, but not just the sheep here. I have other sheep elsewhere. I have them. And Jesus, in his life on this earth, never left Palestine. I have other sheep elsewhere. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So you get what he's saying? I have sheep outside of the land of Palestine, they aren't saved yet. They don't even know that I exist, but they belong to me, and I must bring them. They'll listen to my voice. So the reason that Jesus wants Paul to keep speaking is because he has people in Corinth, and he has to bring them to himself. And he's going to use Paul to do it. He has people who need to be saved, and he's going to save them. 
Now consider what this would mean for Paul, okay? He's, he's at Corinth. He's looking out at a mass of people spiritually dead. They're moving, but they're lifeless. They have no spiritual life. That doesn't sound promising if you're a preacher. You, you spend time with zombies, you get eaten. I mean, these are spiritual zombies. They're moving, but they have no life. But Paul knows that Jesus has people out there. He has them. He's loved them before time. And when Paul speaks, some of them are going to come to life. Think about what that would do for your ministry if you knew that. I don't know who they are. All I see is dead people. But Jesus has some out there, some of those dead people that he loves, and he must bring them. God's predestining love is power for missions. It's power for evangelism. It's power for preaching. I don't mean the fact that God predestines. I mean believing that he does it. That'll give you power when you share the gospel with people to keep going because he has them out there. He has his sheep and he must bring them. Some people say, don't, please don't talk about this. Don't talk about predestination. It's, it's, debated, it's debated, it's confusing. It doesn't help anybody when they're on mission. It helps me. It does. And it will help you. If you don't believe that Jesus has people out there from every tribe, tongue, and language, then you will never go to the hard places. You won't. You'll only go where there's already fruit and little resistance. You will only water where the, where the garden is already growing. But if you know that Jesus has his people planted like seeds among every tribe and language and tongue, you'll water freely, no matter how barren the land might look now. You will pour out the good news of what Jesus Christ has done, even though you can't see the seeds, because you know they're there. And people may say, what are you doing? You're throwing it to come over where it's already growing. We have some palm trees in our yard, and basically our yard is a giant sandbox. I mean, it's the desert. It is the desert. But when I water those palm trees, sometimes the water will, like, trickle over the sides into the sand. And when I say sand, I mean sand. It's sand, barren sand. But when that water trickles over, the next couple days, something will start growing. (laughs) Where did it come from? It's just sand. It's there. Jesus wants all his from all the people. And they will grow. He has a crop. It must grow. There are people who need to hear what you have to say about how Jesus saves. And this is not, 
I don't think it's a global focus week. Lots of global partners are here, but some people may be across the globe and need to hear what you have to say about Jesus. They may be. And you will be successful, whether that's across the world or here in Lakeville, because they are Jesus' sheep. Not because you're a genius. Not because you're a fantastic apologist or preacher. Jesus has sheep, and they must come. They will. They come because they're his. Make that, Bethlehem, your confidence. And speak. And he will do the work. Next point, they will be saved through speaking. So we're focusing on the fact that they will be saved. He has people who will be saved, but they will be saved through speaking. So let's recap the logic of this text. It's clear the activity that Jesus wants Paul to stay engaged in is speaking. He's saying, speak, speak, don't be silent. And he gives the reason at the end of verse 10, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Jesus has predestined people in Corinth who are not yet saved. And the way they will be saved is through Paul speaking. Now, Let's lay that next to John 10, which we just read, verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He means they're not in Palestine. Some of them haven't been born yet. Some of them are in Corinth. And then he goes on to say, I must bring them also. How does he do it? How does he bring them? They will listen to my voice. Okay. So the way Jesus is going to bring his people to himself is because those people who've never heard him before will hear his voice, and when they do, they'll come. How will they hear his voice? How does his voice reach the ears of those other sheep? How does Jesus' voice reach the ears of those who are dead but belong to him and are in Corinth? His voice comes through Paul speaking. That's how his voice comes. It doesn't come mystically on the air. It comes in the voice of Paul. That's how Jesus' voice calls people. It comes in the voice of you and me. Isn't that amazing? That's how Jesus' voice calls people. And just a note right now, it could happen this morning to you. It could. This is the way Jesus' voice gets into your office. I want Jesus to speak to my friends. This is the way. This is the way Jesus' voice gets into your child's bedroom. This is how. This is how Jesus' voice gets into your school and into Afghanistan and China and the UAE. This is it. Through speaking the truth, the gospel. That's the way. There's a young man who's from an unreached people group who kind of got caught in the gravitational pull of our church, the people of our church. No one in his family is a believer. And he starts spending time with folks who are 
part of our church, part of the body there, and they're seeing the way they love him. They start reading the Bible with him. He starts getting closer and closer. He comes to our Friday morning gatherings. That's when we meet on Friday mornings. He's listening to the preaching, and one Friday morning, it happens. (laughs) And the next Friday, he comes to me, and he says, why'd you pick that text? And I said, we're working through Hebrews, man. It's the next text. It's the next text. And he says, I felt like you were talking to me. I wasn't talking to him. I wasn't. Maybe he shouldn't have, he should have been, but he wasn't on my mind. I was not speaking to him, but someone was. When we tell people what Jesus has done, laying down his life, the shepherd who slaughtered for the sheep, raised to life, Lord of all, his voice comes, and new life happens. What other kind of speech does that? There is no other kind of speech that does that. The gospel in the mouth of you or I, or typed out on a keyboard, or written with your pen, can start a dead heart. Speaking the gospel, it's a defibrillator. You know what that is? Clear, boom, new life. What other speech does that? What do you like to talk about? What do you want to talk about? Masks, no masks. Vaccines, no vaccines. Trump, Biden, keep the government in our lives. Keep the government out of our lives. Maybe you just want to talk about movies, books. You should talk about all those things, by the way. You should. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the authority of this word. But you should relativize their importance with this truth. No other topic can bring a soul, boom, to life. The gospel does that. It's the power of God. It's the power of God. Do you see the case that's being built here? Jesus has people. They will come to him, and they'll come when you speak. So speak, speak. And therefore, whatever keeps you from speaking, deal with it. Deal with it. Jesus is concerned about fear here. This is our third point. Therefore, fight the fear that keeps you quiet. Look at verse 9. He doesn't just say, Paul, keep speaking. Don't be silent. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. So Jesus wants Paul to speak. He has his people who must hear in order to be saved. And what would keep Paul from speaking? Fear. Fear. So he says, don't be afraid. Fear will keep you quiet if you think you'll get hurt for speaking. And Paul has been hurt for speaking. Lots. I'm guessing recently you read that he was stoned to death, so they thought. He's been stripped, he's been beaten, he's been imprisoned. That's so far in the book of Acts. He's constantly threatened and chased out of town. And it's not because he dresses funny. It's not because he's ugly. It's because of what he's saying. And if he stopped talking it would stop happening. All of it. 
Put the defibrillator down, Paul. Put it down. Sure, these dead souls won't come to life until Jesus sends someone else, but you won't get beaten. Just put it down. I said at the beginning, there are probably as many reasons now as there have ever been in our lifetimes, culturally, at least in the U.S. This is not true in the rest of the world. (laughs) Reasons to be quiet. You can pay a high price across this globe for speaking about Jesus. But relatively, by U.S. standards, you can pay a high price today. You can. If you put someone's sin in terms that the Bible terms them, you could easily lose your job. Easy. Easy. You tell a man who wants to be called she and her that Jesus Christ can help him, give him life. You can lose your job like that. You're done. You could lose your career that way. But probably more pressing is just the fear of losing out socially, relationally. And we all feel that. We're born feeling that. And so we keep quiet. But Jesus is kind. And I said before, he's Lord of all. He could just say, quit being a scaredy cat and do it. Do it. Pastor David used the word persuasion this morning when we were praying. Why does Jesus persuade us? <laughs> he doesn't have to, but it's because he's kind. And that's what he does to Paul. He's kind to Paul, he's kind to us, and he comes to help us not fear. And that help comes in the form of promises. He makes promises to him. So the promises are these. You can see them in verse 10. I am with you, promise one, and no one will attack you to harm you. So let's see how those promises would help Paul and us fight fear. So first Jesus promises Paul, I will be with you. This is one of God's favorite promises. He gives this one over and over again in the Bible. He gives it to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Gideon. He says, I will be with you. The Bible tells us that he is with Abraham, Phineas, Samuel, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, John the Baptist. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is with us? Why is that a help? Do you know who Bob Vila is? (laughs) Some of you do. Most of you are going, wait a second. He looks like he's 15. But he has to be like 55 if he's talking about Bob Vila. When I, when I was growing up, Bob Vila was the home improvement guy. You had a problem, Bob Vila could fix it. He could tell you how to fix it. He could build a home, fix anything in a home. Okay, so if you don't know who Bob Vila is, that's fine. He's the home improvement guy. He can build you a house. So let's imagine you're building a home. And Bob Vila, he gives you his nicest saw or hammer, whatever it is. That'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. You can't build a house with just a hammer or a saw, but that would be nice. What if instead Bob Vila said, why don't I help you? We can use all my stuff. He's got you. I mean, that's better than him just giving you a tool. I mean, in our vernacular, we say, I got you. I got you. Like, Bob, I can't figure out where the AC is supposed to go. I got you. 
Bob, we don't have enough money to pay for the tiles in the bathroom. I got you. Bob Vila's got you. Jesus is not simply promising Paul a tool or a weapon that might be helpful for him sometimes. Like, here, Paul, here's a sword. This might come in handy every once in a while. Here, Paul, here's a shield. You might need this on your journeys. No. When Jesus says, I am with you, what he's saying is, I will be a sword for you if you need one. I will be a shield for you if you need one, when you need it. If you need food, I'll be your food. If you need drink, I'll be your drink. I will be for you and I will supply for you whatever you need in any moment when you need it. That's what it means for Jesus to be with you. How precious a promise is that? We don't worship a God who is only distant. Jesus is saying, I will be with you. And this promise belongs to you. Every one of you who knows Jesus, this promise, you can say, that's mine. One of the places we see it, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus is saying, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now that's going to involve some speaking, and it might be scary. So what does Jesus say? And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's your promise. He's telling you all that he is and all that he has, all the time he will supply to you so that in any moment you can live a life that honors him. It doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you think you need or you want. It just means everything you need to honor him, he will supply it and be it for you when it comes. Could you fight fear with that promise? You could. You should. That's what it's here for. It's here for you to take and to fight fear with. Could you tell your soul, soul, Jesus is with you now, and he's going to be with you whatever comes. He will be with you when you speak with your mom or your dad or your kid or your coworker. You're going into a meeting. You don't know what's going to be there. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You just know Jesus will be there, and he will supply everything you need. Everything you need. You can fight fear that way. He'll be with you. He's going to give you all that you need, Bethlehem, this week, next week, for all the years that Bethlehem has ahead. So trust him. Second promise, the final promise Jesus gives Paul to fight fear is no one will attack you to harm you. So this is not a promise that Paul can keep forever. I mean, obviously, Paul's going to experience a lot of suffering later on in this book. You just read one verse later from what Dave read, verse 12. Paul gets attacked. But a year and a half have gone by before he's attacked. And in Paul's timeline, that's a long time. 
mean, it's the longest time he's anywhere ministering besides Ephesus and then Rome where he's imprisoned and doesn't really have a choice. Jesus is telling Paul, listen, you've got time. You've got time. I have my people. You have time. I'm going to take care of you. So speak and don't be afraid. Now, we don't receive this promise from God's word the same way that Paul received it from Jesus. If someone walked up on this stage, shot me in the head right now, not one of the Lord's promises would fall to the ground. Physical safety, wellness, is not guaranteed in this life. And some of you feel it right now. You just feel it in your body while you're sitting down. This is not promised. I experience it this very moment. But Jesus does promise that whatever comes, even if you're put to death, Luke 21, 16 through 18, not a hair on your head will perish. You might die, but not a hair on your head would perish. What kind of safety is that? What he's saying, what he's promising, is that even if you die, he's going to keep your soul safe. He's going to keep you from, safe from Satan. We talked about him earlier. He hates you. He's going to keep you from all corruption of soul that will steal your life and your inner joy when you cast yourself on him. And, and, he will restore whatever is lost bodily in this life and the life to come. That's the kind of safety we really need. Just listen to Jesus' perspective. This is Luke 12, 4 through 5. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to Jesus' perspective on safety. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus has a perspective on safety that's different than ours, and the reason is, is because Jesus' perspective on safety is based in reality, and ours usually is not. He knows that if you keep your body safe through fearful self-protection and you lose your soul, then you're going to lose your body too. It's happening. It's going to happen. If you lose your body in this life and Christ keeps your soul, you get your body back too. You could replace a lot of words in that. Reputation. If you keep your reputation safe through fearful self-protection and you lose your soul, you're going to lose your reputation too in the age to come. But if you lose your reputation in this life and Christ keeps your soul, then you will get his glory in the life to come. Your greatest danger, and Jesus knows this, is the hell that you and I ought to receive from his Father and the sin that blinds us from seeing how satisfying he is. That's our greatest danger. That's why he died for you. But if you hide in Jesus when you're scared, he'll keep you safe. He'll comfort you. He'll give you peace. And he'll keep you safe 
from sin, blindness, ugliness of soul, and on your last day, he will deliver you safely into his Father's kingdom. And if you'd rather have a promise of physical safety than that, then you don't see reality. Not the way Jesus does. So here's my plea, South Campus, in closing. Speak. Speak. There are people in your life who need to hear what Jesus has done. I mean, I'm hoping there are people sitting here who need to hear what Jesus has done. Crucified for sinners in your place. Raised to life. So that all the punishment you deserve, and it's a lot more than you think, Jesus took it on the cross and was buried for it. And he's raised to life so that you can live forever in him. And maybe you're hearing his voice now. But there are people in your life who do need to hear his voice, and they'll hear it through you speaking. So speak, speak. Consider, who could you speak to about this good news? But even more important than thinking about who you could speak to is this. This is more important. This is the fight of faith. When you feel afraid about speaking, will you lay hold of these promises? Will you lay hold of them? I mean, this, this really is the business of the fight of faith. When something rises up in you and it's not true, it's not in step with reality, and you take one of these promises and you say, you know what? Everything in me is telling me that right now when I go into this room, it's going to be a total disaster. But soul, Jesus Christ will be with you. That's more true than anything I feel right now, and he's going to keep me safe. So lay hold of these promises. He will keep you safe, and he will draw his people to himself. Let's pray. Do it, Father. <laughs> Draw the sheep in to your Son, the Good Shepherd. Use South Campus, south of the Twin Cities. Use them across this globe. You must bring them, Jesus. You will. Help us to believe what you say that you will be for us everything we need. You'll supply everything we need when we need it. What a king you are, Jesus. Help us. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.